Amit Matani. Yes. Welcome to Blind Ambition. So we're really excited to have you here. Um, you're here at a time where the world is kind of going mad and maybe you could give some sanity for us. And um, hey, Brick, maybe you could kind of give it a real introduction to Amit, what he does, what he's about, and we'll just dive into it and, and really kind of learn what's going on. Fantastic. Yep. We're excited to have Amit Tani on the Blind Ambition to provide a candid look into some of the top tech companies. Amit is the CEO of AngelList Talent. AngelList Talent is a startup and remote hiring talent marketplace. Uh, recently, it made it easier for international job seekers, including those outside of the U.S., look for remote work. And before AngelList, Amit founded the social news site Lookmark and the mobile gaming company Mirafonic. And he is an iOS mobile engineer by trade, which is a pretty impressive feat. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show, Meet. Thanks, Jax. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here. I, I mean, I, I think we could start there. Can, can you walk us through your career? What is it like to be a, a serial startup founder executive? Sure. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's interesting because I don't think I saw or like planned it this way, I guess. Like, <laughs> You know, when I was um, when I was in school, um, this was like 2006, 2008, when I graduated, 2008. And this is before startups was really a thing. I mean, like there was the dot-com boom that happened and then it really quieted down and it was kind of ramping back up while I was still in school. Uh, but I always wanted to write code. It was something that I was super, super excited about. It's something that I've been doing since I was like 13 years old, I guess. So. Um, I continued to do that, went to school uh, at Berkeley to learn computer science and electrical engineering. And while I was there, um, one of my good buddies that I went to high school and uh, middle school with actually, he was my roommate and he happened to have put um, PHP, which is a programming language as one of his interests on his Facebook profile. And Facebook back then in the day in like 2006, 2007 had like these crazy search filters. You can basically search anybody with anything essentially. And somebody found him because they were looking for someone to do some contract work. So they were searching PHP as one of his as one of their interests. Anyway, he got a he got a job through that. And then ultimately the 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 person that got him some contract work was friends with the founder of hotternot.com which is a web 2.0 startup from way, way back when. Um, it was really popular from somewhere in like 2004, 2005 and kind of on. Um, and Drew got an internship through them basically. Uh, and you know, he recommended me to work there and we started working there at Otternot. The company was maybe like you know, four or five people. Uh, two of the founders had gone to Berkeley, all of the employees had gone to Berkeley. And it was like the quintessential startup uh, type of company. And you know, I hadn't even, thought of that as kind of a career option. Uh, and I just kind of dove in and it was pretty cool. It was, it was essentially startup school for me. And that was the thing that kind of kicked everything else off after that. And so you just fell in love with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's so different now, but back then, you know, so 2006, two, yeah, 2007 was when the Facebook platform came out. 2008, 2009 was when the iPhone app store came out. And I built a Hotternots apps for the iPhone. I built the apps for the Facebook platform, like before anybody had done anything. We were one of Facebook's launch partners, actually. Um, and, you know, there's like, you know, 21 year old kid, like building apps that are being seen by a million people at the time was crazy. And now yeah, everybody can do it. But back then it was like, this is so awesome. Well, wasn't Hotternot uh, you know, like the precursor to what Zuckerberg was doing? 
you know, it, right. there's some, there was, the, he, so Hot or Not did two things. One thing was it helped, and the thing that most people know it for was this like rating site. So you could rate people hot or not, basically yeah. one through 10. But the thing that Hot or Not did uh, that kind of spawned all of the dating sites from them was that you could actually, we had a product called Meet Me, which was a dating site. And you could say yes or no. And on the other side, the person would say yes or no, and it would become a match. And if you were a match, then you could actually talk to each other. So it was a precursor to Tinder, Hinge, all these other things, mm -hmm. all these swiping interfaces. Hot or Not was kind of the precursor to that. And you know, the company was making a few million dollars a year. It was like five or six people uh, throughout the entire time. So it was, uh, it, for me, it was kind of like, oh, this is, this is an awesome thing to do. We were even moving servers around in like our data centers and stuff. This is, you know, again, this is before Amazon, this is before AWS and everything else. So for, it was kind of the introduction to all of this. And the other piece was the, the guys that I worked with there, you know, they all went to start startups too. So Drew and I were interns in, uh, in college working there, but there were three or four other guys that were not founders that were working there. The, those guys ended up going to start a company called Crunchyroll, uh, which is, you know, exited for billions of dollars um, recently. Um, and a couple other guys uh, at the company, uh, they went and started another company called Cross Install that just sold to Twitter. Another guy, uh, Dave, started a company who just sold to, to Char uh, called Chartable and sold to Spotify. So, you know, all those guys there were just like building startups. So it seemed like the thing to do. And we learned from all of them, which is really, really cool. I mean, one thing that we hear often is, you know, like engineers, they often have like side projects that they're working on. Yeah. What's the moment where you realize like, aha, this is a, its own business. This could be its own startup. So, I mean, it was interesting. So my, my first company after Hot or Not was, you know, we left Hot or Not. Hot or Not was bought by um, some other company. And then we left a few months after that. And Drew and I at the time were, you know, we had just graduated from college uh, and we knew we wanted to build a startup because, you know, the people that we knew were building startups. And our goal at the time was like, this iPhone thing is really cool. No one seems to be that into it. And it was weird in 2009 when the first App Store came out, like there was just not much out there. Um, in fact, I remember the, the impetus for some of this was like the top, one of the top uh, apps in the App Store was like this thing called iPet Pets or something like that. I don't remember the exact name. But like, it was basically just this like thing where it had like a 2D image of like a you know, Tamagotchi style pet and it would just moved around the screen. And it was like one of the top apps in the app store. I was like, this is crazy. We could probably do better. Um, and so, you know, we were like, look, let's build something for the iPhone. We don't know what it is. We know we want to start a company, but we don't know what it's going to be. Let's set a goal of making maybe a hundred dollars a day building apps. And you know, printed out like back then there was again, nothing there. So we went to the Apple's website, printed out all of the documentation they had to build apps. And we built this game and, uh, you know, we, we were working maybe crazy hours. It was the two of us. We were living together, but had like a basement area where we could write code and stuff. Uh, and, you know, it was like Pokemon meets Mafia Wars. We really were big fans of Pokemon. I love Pokemon. Mafia Wars was like taking all the rage back then. And like, oh, can we blend these things together? Uh, and Drew's girlfriend at the time um, was an artist. And we're like, oh, let's have her, you know, make the, the, the art. Um, and so we built this game called Epic Pet Wars. Like we started coding in like January or February, uh, built the game and got the approval from the app store in like April. And, you know, that hundred dollars a day, like we reached in like a week or two, uh, you know, again, crazy time, but not much there, but it started gaining steam. Um, you know, it got to the top of like the game section in the app store, which today would have been no way in hell, <laughs> just 
because the competition was so easy back then. And then Apple called one day, we're like, we love your app, we'd love to feature you. And so they featured our app at like, you know, one of their primary spots and, uh, you know, it kind of took off from there, uh, which was, so, you know, it wasn't this like, oh, let's do this side thing or whatever. It's like, no, we want to start a company, but like, we don't know what it is, but let's give it a shot. And, you know, at the time you're 22 years old, you have no real expenses. Fortunately, the Hot or Not had sold and we made, you know, we didn't make a, a ton of money. We made enough money to like, be okay for like you know half a year or so and it was like worst things worse we'll go get real jobs after that that was basically it I, it's interesting because I, I think you're kind of underselling it a little bit like sure the gaming company was acquired in less than six months like could sure. you walk us through that process like what is it like uh to, to have that kind of conversation i mean it's it was a it was kind of a whirlwind right like we we launched in april we started getting a lot of traction. And I think by like a month or so in by May, um, uh, what you call it, when, when Apple featured us, we started getting emails from a bunch of people saying, we love your app. Um, and one of those conversations was with this company, NGMoco, that ultimately acquired us. And, you know, at the time, Drew and I were just like, we didn't, it wasn't like, oh, we're game creators or like we have any experience doing this stuff. Like, you're just like, oh, let's build something cool. Like, that was really, really it. And the guys at NGMoco were, you know, EA and other executives that had kind of, kind of come to the mobile gaming space and wanted to, like, well, just revolutionize it. And it gave us an opportunity. And again, it was just two and Drew and I at the point, but it gave us an opportunity to work, like, link up with someone bigger that had done some of this stuff before. And you know, we at the time really wanted to build essentially what became Pokemon Go. Uh, and we like, we're like, oh, the, the way to do this would actually be to link up with, uh, you know, a bigger company. Obviously we didn't build Pokemon Go, but that was kind of part of the, the process of like, let's, let's kind of see this through. And so it was interesting. We also happened to be contacted by a few other companies at that time. And so, you know, over the course of a few weeks, it became like, oh, well, We'll invest in you guys as like a you know a studio relationship to like you know the other company wanted to acquire us and then we told Njimoko they they wanted to acquire us they're like we want to acquire you and it kind of went back and forth in that and it was a it's a it was a wild experience um, because again you're 22 years old like you, you haven't experienced this before fortunately we had you know the friends that had been in startups and we got some good advice um, but it was uh, it was a wild ride and then after that once they agree to acquire you. You actually have to wait another month to actually close. And that's a whole process because like all the lawyers have to do all this stuff. And, you know, I don't know, it was, uh, it was like, what is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And finally didn't, it was, it was a cool process. So it might be tough, right? As a young guy without any experience, like dealing with lawyers and accountants, right? That had to be yeah. trippy. I mean, this is the thing about startups, right? You just kind of do it. You don't have experience doing it. Like, I think you just kind of, do it like we've we never built a game we'd never built an app for the app store we'd never you know done it almost everything that we ultimately had to do including yeah i was in quickbooks myself setting up our accounting software uh, again this is a different time before also before most of the the infrastructure we have for mo mo like modern ios development existed there was no even facebook platform or sdk 
I actually like figured out a way to like pop up a web view to then kind of redirect back to our app using their OAuth thing for their normal websites to actually work within our application. Um, you know, so we had to like discover all of these things on our own from like the infrastructure, the hosting, to the accounting, to the dealing with lawyers and everything else. It was, uh, you know, it was fun, but it's it was definitely like we were completely flying blind. And, you know, you look back now with all the experience that I've had and then like, wow, like, if I had known how hard some of that stuff would be, like I don't know how easily it would have been to be like, yeah, let's just go try. <laughs> You're right. You probably wouldn't have done it. You're like, well, yeah. I, I got to do all this work. Let me just get a yeah. regular job. <laughs> Let me get a regular job, and that's it. But because this is because you said, you know, as you mentioned, it was kind of on the forefront. Did your parents at the time say, well, maybe you should get a job, or you know, see you work all these crazy hours yeah. and. You know, well, no, they, uh, they, they just, they, I have what, the, you know, I have the standard immigrant parents, yeah. you know, thing of they want you to be successful in the uh, least risky way possible. Let's put it that way. So, you know, become a doctor, become like a, you know, a dentist or whatever, where like, especially at the time, like for me, you know, going into tech in, in 2004, again, like now it seems like a gold rush, right? But back then, like the only thing that had happened after 2001 was like that entire crash that wiped up half of Silicon Valley. And so I think for my parents, it was like, well, first of all, even going into becoming an engineer, like they were okay with it because they knew how much I liked to code. Like I, I'd been doing it since I was a kid, but they were still kind of concerned. And then definitely, yeah, you know, I think because Hot or Not had done okay and I was making money through that, I was paying for my own school, my own housing and everything else. Once I started working, they're like, yeah, he probably has it. But they were definitely like, yeah, maybe you should think about a job at some point. But they were fairly supportive. Like, you know, once I started making money at the first company, they're like, he's probably. Right, then they're, they're like, okay, he knows what he's doing. Okay, yeah. right, right. Once yeah. that happened, then he's like, all right, maybe he's on to something. We'll just we we'll just be quiet. Let him let him go. go yeah, with it. It give me a few years, and ultimately it worked out. <laughs> yeah. um, you you mentioned like kind of drinking from the hose in the early days. Yeah. I mean, like, I understand that there's probably no VC money. Like, was it was it just pure grit? Like, what was keeping you going at that time? I mean, you know, it happened so fast that I don't, it's, it's weird now. Like, so at my second company, we kind of went through those harder days, right? Where the first, I mean, when, when you're 22, you know, and we had like, again, the burn rate that I had was incredibly low. Like I don't spend any money, right? Like you're 22 year old, you like go out with friends, you spend time at home. Like you're maybe spending, uh, I think I was probably spending like, you know, $2,000 a month on rent and everything else, probably a little, a little more, but like, you know, we had enough money at that point to kind of last for the year, given that Otter Not had uh, exited. Um, and, you know, again, we were in college too and saving most of the paycheck that we were getting from Otter Not as well. And so we had a little bit of kind of breathing room and it was basically like, let's give it six months to a year and see what happens. But within, you know, within the first three or so months, like the, um, the product started making money, right? So we were actually profitable at that point. And obviously we were paying ourselves, we had to pay ourselves a small salary, but we were then kind of making money. And so we never kind of went through that phase of like, you know, how are you going to make the next payroll or anything like that? Because it was just the two of us. That said, like, I, I do think, you know, we could have thought bigger, you know, we could have always like gone out and raised money because there was VC money, especially at the time, like people were starting to raise. And we could have taken kind of that big swing of like, you know, let's try to make this a huge company on our own, really kind of build it out to something massive. But at the time, we were just kind of excited to work with people that kind of done it before and wanted to get their understanding and kind of grow that way. And so that was one of the pieces why we decided to kind of sell. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was the next company was a little bit different, I think. 
I mean, there, there's always this pressure right now to kind of make the headlines and fundraise yeah. almost for the sake of fundraising, right? Yeah. Um, what what advice do you have to, to folks who are thinking about, you know, hey, I'm an, I'm an engineer. I have a yeah. good idea. Yeah. I, I've decided it could be its own business. Yeah. Do you rush to raise? Do you try to be gritty and, and, and work through it like you did? Yeah, so I think of it in kind of a few different ways. So I think, first of all, if you have an idea, you should build it without raising. Um, the further you get, the more you can kind of prove out that it's working, the better kind of valuation you're going to get, right? Like they'll take less of your money because you have something that's working and you can show real users and everything else. And that's not like, that's not a perfect, uh, that's not a perfect analogy. If you're really amazing at selling your vision, like just top tier at that, you could probably raise a ton of money without even doing that, right? Like you've seen kind of these big companies raise a bunch of money. But I think overall, right now, it's just so easy to start something. You can put up stuff on AWS, you can start coding right now. Like there's so many SaaS tools out there that there's not that fixed cost that you would have before uh, to really get something off the ground. Um, and so I would put that off as much as possible. But then the moment that you see it working, you know, raising money allows you to move faster um, in a lot of different ways, right? Like it allows you, first of all, to move faster by just paying people, obviously, right? Like that's, that's a big piece in hiring people and everything else and paying for infrastructure and everything. But it also allows you to move faster because I think the, the raising of, I mean, being able to raise money does show kind of to a lot of people that like, okay, this company has been vetted by someone else, right? And we see this a lot of times on our platform, Angelus Talent, you know, it's really hard to understand if a company is legit. And by seeing that, oh, the investor of this company was also an investor at like say Facebook or something else, that adds an air of legitimacy to the company. And so I think raising also helps for that, like to go out there and be able to say, hey, we're, we're a legit company. These investors have looked into us and everything else. And that, that also, I think does help. So I think early on until you can get you know, further as possible to kind of prove out the model, don't try to raise if you can. Um, unless you're really, really good at raising. And then after that, do it so you can move quickly. I think that's the other big piece. Because, you know, I think especially now that there's, it's so easy to create something, a lot of people end up having the similar ideas. And it's usually whoever can go faster at startups is going to be the one that wins. And money is a big proponent, I mean, component of being able to go faster. I mean, Rick, what do you think about this? So when you're young, you're starting out, you don't kind of know any better. So it's like, hey, I'm going, I'm ready with this. You know, you don't have kids, you don't have a mortgage. What happens, a lot of people I see on blind, maybe they're working for Amazon, they're working yeah. for Apple, they're making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, they're comfortable. Yeah. Is it in a perverse way? Is that harder than to say, hey, I'm going to now leave a safe, yeah. secure job. I have options. Yeah. I have the status of working for X company, but I do have this burning desire. I have this idea. Do you find that that it becomes harder than to do that because you just get complacent because you're, you're doing okay? I think everybody's different, uh, but I think the general trend can probably be like, I would probably agree with it a little bit just, and it's, it's not even complacency, right? It's the, the demands on your time are now different and you're, you know, like, so for example, I have a, a, a two-year-old uh, now uh, and obviously I work pretty hard and I have a wife and everything else, but like, you know, I want to spend time with them. Right. And, you know, uh, she'll have to go to school at some point. And like, there's a certain amount of money that we need to make now to kind of keep all of those things going. Right. Whereas 
you know, back then it was like, yeah, I can eat like a burrito every day. I'll be totally fine. <laughs> You're happy. And You're I fine. can literally work all the time yeah. other than like, I got to tell you when we, when we were working, like Drew and I would like work later and later into the night to a point where like by the end of the week, we'd have flipped like our sleeping schedules yeah. and like, you know, it's, you can't do that as like a proper adult. That said, I mean, you know, the amount of understanding that I have now would allow me to move way, way faster than like a 22 year old. I don't have to make the same mistakes. So, you know, I do think there is an opportunity for people that are further in their careers to take a swing at a startup. I mean, I think it's the best thing you can do uh, because I think you learn so much. Um, but I do understand that like people's desires and their needs and everything else change. And honestly, like, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of give up that like really nice paycheck or that really nice, you know, experience that you've had over a few years. I think and the other piece I'll say is that, you know, at these bigger companies, the infrastructure they have around you, like if you're a coder or anything else, like a lot of these things have just been built out. And at, at a startup, like you kind of have to do all of those things. You have to, you have to be HR, you have to be, you know, your like tooling infrastructure and everything else. You kind of, and like the, the systems have gotten better, but that is another kind of rude awakening sometimes when you leave kind of these big, massive companies that have like the, all the infrastructure. Plus it's, it's, it's nice. You know, when I see the offices of Google and other places, sure. yeah. they make it really kind. It's like, yeah, this is very lovely. I don't have yeah. to worry about breakfast, lunch, dinner. This, yeah. is, this is really, I have the whole social scene, if, especially if you're young. So Onward. it makes it enticing to stay. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think about this too, like, you know, my first companies were in 2008 and then another one in 2011. And back then, you know, the amount of money that you can make working at a Facebook or Google is many multiples less than what you can get made now. And I think it would have been a much different decision had it been then versus now. And, you know, I think it's an interesting time to kind of have to compare those options. Cause like at the end of the day, if you're going to start a company, the likelihood that you're going to succeed is quite, quite low. And you have to have another reason to do it. And I think for me, I think there's two reasons to do it. One is like, you have a burning idea that you need to see exist in the world. And like, you know, you should do it. The other one is like being able to get a rate of learning for a broad set of things that you just wouldn't be able to necessarily get at, you know, a company of a massive size where your role is a lot smaller. When you speak about the comp, because yeah. it's so hard from what I understand, it's so hard to find top talent, experienced talent. And I know one of the things you've been doing is trying to get remote, but yeah. then also, do you think that the, the cost of talent is just going to keep rising but can it keep rising indefinitely? Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously it can't keep rising indefinitely, <laughs> right? I don't know what the end rate is, right? Um, what we have seen is over the, the last few years is this kind of acceleration of tech, I think. Uh, you know, over the pandemic, every tech company was, kind of, a lot of tech companies were vital to kind of getting us through. And I think it's like remote work and everything else has kind of shown a path towards, you know, the every company becoming a tech company essentially. And I said, so I think the demand for technologists is very much, you know, when, what we see is kind of at an all time high demand for new startups has is kind of at an all time high demand for like just investors putting money into startups is kind of at an all time high. So we're seeing kind of this increase, huge increase in demand. Um, 
and the supply is not quite there yet, right? And it's not just quite there yet in like, you know, in the US, like we're, we're seeing that companies are really excited about going international because they're not necessarily finding enough talent you know, in the US. Um, and so they're looking for people in South America, they're looking for people in Europe, and we're really trying to help them, like help these startups that have just raised money to be able to find that right talent, be that in kind of, you know, remotely in the middle of the US or, you know, in the middle of Costa Rica. Like, I think it's a, it's a great time to be an engineer, uh, honestly. It's probably one of the best times because the, the skill set that you have right now is just so, so in demand. And honestly, I think it's one of the best times to be a founder too. Like. You know, at the end of the day, these waves are when kind of great companies are built uh, and big companies are built. We caught the wave when the iPhone came out, when mobile started. But now the Web3 wave is really happening right now. It's kind of coming into their own. And we're seeing such cool, like interesting companies get started around this. And you know, we, I think every other company we see sign up for Angelus Talent is a Web3 company. And I think it's just an exciting time um, to, to see recruiting around that. But what, just out of care, what are some of the cool things they're doing? You know, it kind of runs the gamut, right? Like it's, you know, you have companies, obviously the obvious ones that come to mind, like OpenSea that are helping mm -hmm. company, you know, people buy NFTs and stuff, uh, you know, um, they use, they were on the platform for years. And I remember when, when they just raised their multi-billion dollar round, I looked, you know, had they made hires on the platform. In fact, one of their founding engineers were actually hired on Angelus Talent, which is really, cool. really cool, right? Like this person was the found them through our platform and, you know, hopefully got a good equity deal and probably has like, you know, generational wealth now, which is really, really awesome. Um, but some of the other interesting companies, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of blanking right now, uh, but one of them... Um, some of them are like building gaming and one of the reasons like it's kind of similar to what we did in the past of building kind of gaming for web3 it's really really interesting one of them is kind of trying to build uh economies to help gaming companies kind of run so not so gaming web apps on web3 creating an infrastructure for the economies for them all to make sense so if you spend some money here how should the how should the token be balanced and everything else? And it's just kind of a cool idea that like all sorts of different parts of kind of technology, economics and everything else have to kind of go into to building a company like this, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, do, it does seem that way where it's a, it's the nexus of gaming, then NFTs, and then buying and selling things with cryptocurrency. So it yeah. has this whole kind of ecosystem that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, this, this idea of like, if, if you could have your entire database public, could you create the incentives that everybody would build on top of it? Which is kind of a fascinating idea. Um, I mean, you think about even like talent networks like ours, right? Like we all kind of build our own little gardens where you have LinkedIn doing their thing, you have Angelus Talent doing our thing. And you could imagine a world where, you know, everybody's profiles on a blockchain and every person, every node is kind of adding stuff and removing stuff and creating matches on top of it. And I think it's just, it's interesting how it all plays out. You know what, you just maybe think of something. So could there be, you know, you look at places like LinkedIn. Yeah. If you could have every name on a blockchain, could that kind of be a disruptor entity to have yeah. something equivalent to, to LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, it'd be, I mean, it totally would be, right? Like, so if you kind of owned your profile data and it was just part of a chain and anybody could build on top of it, I think it'd be game changing. That said, you know, a lot of the things that we do at Angelus Talent are about, all about moderation, making sure that people are making great connections. It's something that we spend a lot of time on. And I think that's the hard part in Web3 that people are still trying to figure out, like, how do you moderate something that's essentially decentralized? And it'll be mm -hmm. an interesting like challenge to figure out. 
On your platform, do you see more companies that are abroad or outside of the US trying to hire worldwide or is it vice versa, these US or Western yeah. countries that are trying to expand elsewhere or get the talent they need elsewhere? So the majority of people on our platform are US-based companies hiring internationally or hiring remotely. Um, and there's a few reasons. Ultimately, the startup ecosystem in the US is much more developed than the startup ecosystem anywhere else in the world. Um, so, you know, for example, San Francisco, like, you know, let's see, let's talk even the second tier city uh, for startups like Austin or LA has like way more startups than many countries uh, around the world. Right? Um, and so, the other piece to this is that a lot more money goes into U.S. startups than international startups, and that's not true overall. Like you know, the top U.S. international startups also get you know a lot of funding, but as a whole, there's more going into U.S. startups. So we see a lot of demand from U.S. startups to hire, you know, in the U.S. but also kind of internationally. We we see a little bit, obviously, from you know Europe hiring in Indian engineers or you know around the world people kind of hiring across borders, but. And generally, if it's a U.S. engineer, they're coming to a U.S. company um, or I mean, that's basically or if it's an international candidate, they're usually coming to a U.S. company or their local companies. Is there a big difference if you have somebody who is in the Ukraine or Brazil or Argentina compared to somebody from San Francisco, Silicon Valley in terms of their knowledge? So if you're kind of that remote, are you sacrificing anything or they're just you know, they're just as brilliant. They're just, they're just born in a different place. You know, I mean, I truly believe they're just as brilliant, just born in a different place. But I think yeah. ultimately what you're, the differences are the experiences, right? So in the US, like there's a more likelihood of them working for other startups like yours. <clears throat> there's a likelihood that they understand the culture. There's a likelihood of a shared kind of, um, set of uh, values and everything else, right? Whereas when you kind of go across borders, like because the ecosystems haven't been built up as much, you know, you don't see as many candidates that have had the same experiences um, around startups, around kind of um, the working styles of US companies. That said, that's rapidly changing and has changed considerably over the last few years. Um, the, you know, everybody has the internet now everybody can learn any skill now just by going online. And the tools to get spun up are, have gotten really, really distributed. And so honestly, our own personal, like Angelus Talents engineering team, which is about 30 people, 40% of our team is based in Eastern Europe. Uh, and they're just as good as our US engineers. A lot of them are a lot more senior actually than some of our US engineers. So our CTO is based in Eastern Europe. Um, so, you know, for us, we think we have a, we think for sure hiring internationally is the way to go because I think you can get great, great talent that, you know, isn't as um, picked over as like the ones in kind of San Francisco and New York. The two things I wanted to ask you about. One yeah. is that this is sound corny and sappy, but I, by having that, doesn't that make the world a better place so that if you do have, don't, don't mock me, guy. I mean, I'm not, you know, because it does sound sappy, but doesn't that help? So instead of having everybody in, you know, San Fran and everyone thinks the same way, yeah. has the same mindset and what have you, so that if you do have people in Latin America and Asia and China and Mexico, wherever, and now you're all kind of working together, it just makes, you know, it kind of breaks down the walls between us all. I mean, do you notice that? Do you think, am I just I, kind I mean, of being ide notice... idealistic? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it makes the world better. I will say that I've learned a lot because of it. So I think it made my life better, right? Like getting to know people kind of from everywhere. And it's not yeah. just internationally, right? Like our engineering team or just our entire company, 
you know, isn't just in New York or SF. We have people in Florida. We have people in South uh, North Carolina. We have people in Washington, D.C. and Portland and all. That's over the same the thing place. too, because yeah. like okay, you hear knocks on on, on Florida. Oh, sure. crazy Florida guy, yeah. crazy. You know what I mean? And you, you yeah. have misconceptions, and they go, oh, "Well, no, this guy's brilliant and very sophisticated." Yeah, exactly. And like, oh, I didn't realize that. Or you know, if 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 they're in Arkansas or Mississippi, so it, it's not even in other countries it's just even here yeah. too in the u.s absolutely and i think you get to like meet people and remove stereotypes because you yeah. are working with these people every day um you know i just got out of a meeting and every single person was either in a different country or a different state see that right? gotta be so cool that has to be you know because you're probably learning from each other you know sure, different yeah. customs different social yeah. norms and it just yeah it kind of it sounds like a you know a nice situation to have like i'm here in a suburb of new jersey right yeah and everyone's the same for the most part <laughs> you know, seriously yeah like, we can have different colors different whatever but like we're pretty much all the same it's very weird it's very you, know, it's, you yeah. want some difference some different kind of takes i mean i think it's gonna be fascinating uh mark andreessen had this quote where it's the first time in the history of the world that we've decoupled economic opportunity from physical location yeah and I think it's a fascinating time to be in the space of helping people get jobs and helping find jobs because I think so much is changing. And I think what you're mentioning is like just one facet of how the world will change because of this. But I think there's going to be many, many more things that we're, we're not even seeing quite yet. The other thing is, and Rick and I were talking about this a little before, which is which is scary. Like how how is it going for the people, whether who are working at your organization or kind of related and doing business with your who are in the Ukraine or in neighboring countries, how are they faring? It's, it's tough. I mean, it's tough yeah. for, it's incredibly tough for them. And I, I can't, so we had one person or that was in the Ukraine. Um, we have several people that have family in Ukraine or are in Russia. Um, uh, and Honestly, it's it's and then we have a bunch of people in Bulgaria, Romania, and neighboring countries, and it's incredibly difficult for them right now. Yeah. Um, uh, our Ukrainian employee hope got out or got to a place where she feels safe, which is great. Um, that was the most important thing for us. Uh, but for everybody else, like it's, I just imagine if there was a war in Mexico, like how distracting that would be, or Canada or something. It's it's incredibly distracting, um, and so. For us, you know, what we're trying to do is is make sure that our teams know that we're there for them uh, and giving them the resources they need, and you know, being also upfront that like, look, these roadmaps that we had for this cycle, like for this quarter, probably are going to be shot, and that's okay. You know, yeah. uh, their health, their well-being, and everything else comes first, but uh, it's difficult. Um, and honestly, as a platform, one of our biggest locations, uh, is the Ukraine. A lot of people look for jobs, um, internationally from the Ukraine. And so I don't know how that's ultimately going to affect, uh, the platform as well. And I don't know what's going to happen to the industry over there. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a really rough time. And this is not fair for me to ask, but like for yourself, is it tough? Like, do you find yourself trying to reach out to people there who you know are on your platform to to say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? Or is there a company to do? Because yeah. I don't know about you, and this is what I was talking about with Rick before. You kind of feel helpless. You, you see these things unfolding, and I'm not going to get a gun and go flying over there to <laughs> to do it. So, like, what you know, what can you do? So, are you? I, as Angel is trying to figure out, hey, how can we just, like you said, you're letting them know that you care, but are there other ways to make sure 
you know, because they have to worry about their job too. Like they're going to start thinking, hey, am I going to still have a job? What's going to happen? You know, and this is, this is, we've had discussions about this, but we haven't come up with anything for us. Priority yeah. number one, obviously the situation has moved so quickly. Priority number one was make sure our people were safe and like giving them the space they needed. Um, we're trying to think about like what's next um, and how we can support the communities out there. But honestly, it's, it's hard because they're in a war and like, what can you really do? Uh, and what can we do from here? Um, and so I want to make sure that, you know, we can provide and give them access to jobs internationally if that is something that they're, they want to do, but we, we don't have any set plans quite yet, but we've been de definitely thinking about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it must be rough for you and, and the team there because for all of us, your hearts go out to these folks oh, yeah. and then it's, it's, but it's so changing. You don't know what to do, but what can be yeah. done at times. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, again, it's, you know, you have people that you see every day that I, somebody told me this, like the, the distance between some parts of um, the Ukraine and Bulgaria, it's like San Francisco to San Diego. It's very, very close. And you know, these people you see every single day are like that close to danger. And it's, uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really, I can't, honestly, I can't imagine, you know, what it's like. And so we're just trying to be there for them and give them the space they need. And that's the best I think we can do. Yeah. Do you have any advice for folks that are abroad that are trying to come to the U.S. or, 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 or kind of want out of their country? Like when, when it's so competitive, this like global yeah. talent marketplace for the yeah. first time, uh, how do you really kind of make the move for yourself? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm really excited about, so my parents uh, came from India, you know, out back in the 70s here, right? And, and for them that was kind of the pathway to a better kind of economic outcome, right? And I think what's cool now is that you don't have to do that. You don't have to leave your friends. You don't have to leave your families. You can, you know, get a great job and still be at home, right? Be with people and like make good money. You don't have to come to the U.S. for it. And so I'm really, really excited about enabling that. And for the people that have these set of skills that want kind of the U.S. jobs, there's a few things that I you know, we find are really effective for talent on our platform. Number one, um, I mean, there's two things that I think of. Um, companies are specifically looking for, number one, great English skills. Number two, have worked for a U.S. company. So obviously the first one's under your control. Um, have great English. If you have great English, do everything you can to show that you have great English. So like a great, well-written resume is one big piece. Good online presence videos like we've seen a lot of people we have it on a platform where people can make videos to show off or like to answer some questions and i think that's a really good way of showing your english skills because ultimately communication is incredibly important to these companies especially the smaller ones um, that don't might not have like a local presence the other one is us having a us job already now uh people like that because it de-risks you know like oh they've worked for a us company they understand the process and everything else but not everybody has that so i have a few recommendations for that one one is you can do contract work for a us company that's a good way to start uh, and that can kind of give you the entry point the other one is um especially if you've gone to like worked at really legit places in your local country or like gone to legit schools like i think the best thing you can do is kind of explain 
your experiences more than you would say for a local thing. So for example, like if you worked at a company, you're like, you know, this is the top five FinTech company in South America and yeah, in South America by funding or whatever, because ultimately a recruiter in the U S might not know what the best companies, the best schools and everything else are. So it's really on you to kind of not only explain what you did there, but why the company is awesome and legit, because that, I think that'll get you a, uh, further ahead. So those are the big things that I think about, you know, the other ones that I, that we've seen work really well is just an experience in a high demand, but less uh, popular languages, programming languages. So for example, like Ruby is still incredibly in demand or PHP is incredibly in demand, but everybody's writing stuff in Node and everything else. So, you know, if you had a lot of experience in Ruby and still want to work in Ruby, that's like, we see Ruby developers making a lot internationally because people are looking for great talent because they can't find that in the US. So I think it's just being able to, finding kind of those mismatches of the market and being able to kind of fill them essentially is what you want to do. How do you identify these kind of trends to, to, to kind of target, yeah. really hone in on your niche? Yeah, well, there's a few different ways. So one way is to use sites like ours that kind of allow you to search different skills and see how many jobs are available for those skills. And I think that's a great way of doing it. The other one is a lot of these job sites, uh, not just job sites, but like developer sites like Stack Overflow post like, you know, what the most popular uh, coding languages are and you can see the ones that are like you know gaining ground losing ground and find a find that really that niche that you can be in the other one is i mean you know the, the awesome thing right now is crypto is really really awesome right now too where a lot of times you can just get started right a lot of this stuff is open source and you can just start committing code and you don't even have to get anybody's permission you can just be part of it and that's a great way to really get started start contributing code to open source people see that you're doing a great job and then you know moving that forward into getting uh, a paying job and stuff too. Got it. And do you see folks bringing people to the US or, or do they stay remote? You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think we're still kind of early in the process. So I don't know how it will play out over a period of time. But one of the nice things, especially for talent now, is you don't have to worry about getting a visa. You don't have to worry about any of the you know, the, the, the hard parts of like immigrating basically. And so it's, it's awesome because you can find somebody, you know, in South America and with like, we partner with companies like Deal, Panther that allow you essentially do one click hiring across borders. And so you can find someone internationally, match with them on our platform, interview them, and you can hire them in one click without dealing with any of the compliance issues, the legal issues. And it's the same thing for both sides. Like the candidates themselves have a very clean interface that they can work with. And so, you know, it removes all those barriers essentially to get going. And I think that's the most exciting thing where you can kind of be at home or be in your home country and not have to leave. Um, and so that's something that we're seeing a lot of right now. I'm curious, you know, I, I we, we always make this distinction on blind. There's a difference between work from home and remote right. work. Do you ever see kind of companies embracing this like digital nomad culture of, of people hopping different yeah. countries or, or, or regions even? So we definitely do. I think there's this idea, uh, I, I don't think our terminology has caught up to the times yet and how we describe companies. And there's a really great blog post that I saw that I don't remember the name, but they, they described kind of the five stages or the five types of remote. And on one side of it is on-site only, right? And basically you don't have any remote workers and you might have work from home flexibility. Like you can work a day or two um, at home, but you know you are an on-site team and people have to be there. 
Uh, on the other side is like remote, completely distributed. So the entire company is distributed. You can be where you want. You can move wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. Um, even in that side, there tends to be this kind of issue around time zones. Like a lot of companies are like, hey, we're only cool. You can move wherever you want, but you have to stay within these time zones because like that's where the collaboration hours kind of are. are. And then there's like this middle ground and the middle ground I think goes from remote okay, which is basically like, yeah, we have a few, uh, we're primarily on site, but we have a few remote workers, but like the mode of work is on site to kind of remote, um, remote first, essentially, where it's basically like uh, your team is like, is kind of, uh, is on site and remote, but you've done a lot of work to put, uh, to make remote workers and on-site workers kind of in the same level. So think about like benefits and like things like, for example, like if you're in the office, you get free food. If you're, you're remote, they give you like a, you know, a stipend to get free food or something else. And they've kind of put in the process to kind of make all those things work. And I'm forgetting the fifth one. <laughs> they all kind of fall under that category of like on-site only kind of fully distributed. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens as like these companies come back uh, to the office. And we're starting to see that now of like, how long does this kind of middle group or how big does that middle group stay? Or does everybody kind of go to one side where you on site and work from home flexibility and completely distributed, whereas kind of the, the hybrid approach might be difficult to maintain, but we'll see. I, I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yeah. I, I'm going to poke the bar a bit, but yeah. which do you think is going to be kind of the future? In that? my mind, I think the hybrid approach is going to get gutted. I don't oh, see really. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it working. So basically, because I, so two things. One thing is if your entire leadership team is on site, you're an on site company, you're not a hybrid company. All of that, that's where the nexus of decision making is happening, right? And it's really like, and the most kind of ambitious people are going to be wanting to be near their managers, be near leadership because they want that kind of back and forth. The other piece is like, if you're on site, like, you know, it's like, oh, we'll grab some lunch together. We'll grab some coffee. We'll go to a restaurant after work or whatever. Like you have all these little moments where like the remote workers are just not part of it, right? And so that's what I think is gonna drive people over. The other piece is like, as much as you wanna try to kind of create a balanced environment, like I think it's really, really difficult to maintain kind of the same benefits, the same kind of work experience for remote workers as local workers, right? Like one example is, cause we used to be a hybrid company and that's some of the things that we learned after going remote first was, you know, for example, like if you're all in a meeting room together and you have like two or three people on Zoom, you know, when you turn off Zoom, the people in the meeting room still chat and they like have an after like meeting chat, maybe some context is shared. All those remote workers weren't part of it, right? So I think there's gonna be this problem where companies, like people are either gonna self-select into being fully remote because they get all the benefits, they're, they're first-class citizens for their remote companies, or they're gonna be on site because they wanna be next to people. And like, I, I think it's gonna be hard to be in between in my mind. Like, I don't know, like it's gonna be kind of weird. like if you're an on-site company and like half your team is now on Zoom and half your team's inside, it's just gonna be difficult to kind of maintain that on-site culture. So we'll see. But you know, when you mentioned about deal, I know that they would pay people with cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Sure. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a wise move to pay I mean, I, part I think of it? It's or... exciting time, sorry to, to interrupt, um, because the, original work, like way that startups worked 
was they pay you a salary and they pay you an equity portion of the company, right? That equity is not, you can't really liquidate it. It's not, um, it's not liquid until, you know, the company raises enough money where you can have like a secondary transaction or, or the company gets acquired, right? And so you're kind of sitting on a big portion of your compensation that you can't do anything with. I think it's interesting now, especially with some of these crypto companies that are especially giving people portions or tokens that they're actually building, because then those tokens, like once they go live, they can actually sell it on exchanges and get a little bit of liquidity early, which I think is just really changes the, the model at which some of these employees are going to be uh, compensated. So I think I'm, I'm excited to see how that plays out because I think it's a different type of funding model and a different type of um, compensation model for early stage employees that uh, might change the way that we do things going forward. Um, and we're, we're trying to figure this out right now. We're trying to figure out how we can let companies actually say like, hey, we pay in crypto or some of your equity will be in our token or, you know, you can, um, you can get a portion of your like pay in crypto as well. So we're, we're trying to figure out all those pieces right now. It's interesting because I could see it different types of people. So let's say you, you put yourself back when you're young starting out. You're like, I don't need a whole lot of money. So, you know, well, pay in crypto. Let's I'll put it aside. Let's see what happens. Roll the dice. Right. Or then conversely, if you're older and you have money socked away, like, yeah, pay me some Bitcoin or crypto, whatever digital asset token. Yeah. This is, if it works great, if not, Hey, I have enough already. So that's cool. So, um, it's it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down to like risk tolerance, right? And it's yes. kind of what we talked about earlier about this idea of if you have a family and everything else, it might be difficult to start a startup. I, I think it's, I think we live in an exciting time right now because depending on your risk tolerance and like the things in your life, like you can either kind of take the much riskier approach or because fun, so much funding has gone to startups, like they can give you a real salary and like you can kind of play in between on how you want to do that. But I, I think- the, the exciting stuff is that, you know, I think now compared to back then, eight years ago, 10 years ago, we have such a broader group of people that can take part in the startup ecosystem, not just uh, people that are in the US, but also kind of international. And so I think you have an opportunity for a broader pe group of people to, you know, take advantage of this kind of wealth creation engine that tends to be like early stage startups, which I think is pretty cool. On it, on your platform, what are like when you're paying folks abroad? Are, are they paying in local currency, U.S. dollars? Crypto? Yeah, so exactly. So we're, we're the matchmaker, right? Like our job here is to get them together, and then we work with companies like Deal, who basically are a platform for the companies to pay. And I believe uh, they handle it. You could pay in U.S. dollars, or they can do the conversion or whatever. But you know, they button that all up for you, which is really really nice. So you pay Deal a little bit of money to kind of per employee, um, but they'll handle all the hard work for you. That's and a lot of headaches. Where you can happen on our platform. That's a lot of headaches for them, right? Imagine that you got to deal all the tax stuff, all the laws, all the regulations, all because I wrote about them too. Oh my God. I'm just thinking what a headache that is to do all that stuff. You know, make sure you have everything, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed. Yeah. Well, it's great that somebody else is doing it for you, right? Because, you know, before, for example, with our company, we had uh, subsidiaries in uh, the European locations where we hired people because that was the way that you could hire contract, I mean, like employees. And so now uh, we work with uh, one of these companies that like they handle all that for us. We don't have to deal with it. And it's just a really nice experience, which is great. 
Okay. So you get to do it with the fun stuff that you like doing, which is great. Yeah, so exactly. you focus on that, then you outsource that. You, you guys take care of it. I don't really want to know each country, what the laws are, what they are, what taxes are. How do you do this? Thank you. You can take care of it. I'll do the other stuff. Absolutely. I'll do the, get, you know, doing the hiring and the finding the right talent. I'll do the, the stuff that you like doing. I mean, then this is how we think of ourselves at Angelus Talent, right? Like we're here to help startups find great teams. We're here and we understand that they have a bunch of other things to do, right? Usually a lot of the users of our platform on the recruiter side tend to be like startup founders, hiring managers. And obviously we have big companies like Amazon and others on the platform, but like these people usually have other jobs and they need to go do those jobs, right? And so we want to make tools that allow companies to basically come in, find great talents, and then go off and do the job that you know, they're trying to do, like build awesome technology. And so that's how we see, you know, what kind of, what we're bringing to the world, essentially. I mean, you've just been like such a wonderful wealth of advice. I, to, to cap things off, are there like any like last pearls of wisdom that you can share with like technologists and other professionals looking to kind of level up their career? You know, it's, I think the, the main thing that I would say is like, figure out what you want, I guess. You know, it's it's such a amazing time right now to be a technologist. The the wealth of opportunities uh I think we just never seen before, right? Like, you know, when I remember when I was uh younger, like you would either become an engineering manager or you like at later in your career, you couldn't have this like long career as like an IC and stuff. And that's kind of completely changed. And like again, every single company now is a, is a tech company. And so you don't have to just get a job at, you know, big tech, you can start a web three thing, you can go work at a bank, like there's just so many different things that you can do. So I think it's a great time. But you know, you got to figure out what you want first, because there's so many different types of opportunities. And so that's the, the main advice that I would give to people figure out like where you want to go where you want your career to go, and then kind of take some shots like ultimately, uh, you know, there's just so so much opportunity that you can kind of go after anything right now which is which is great and, and if you're not a technologist already learn to code it's just so much easier these days, uh, because I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity for that. Can I ask you guys both this pertains to you too, Rick and I mean, in the sense that if I know with blind and your company focused more on the tech side, but for the uh, for this you know video for this podcast we put on you're gonna be a lot of people who watch it who aren't techies but would be interested in going tech so for angels list if they would want to join let's say they're a marketing person yeah. or they're a salesperson they're welcome too right so you don't have to Absolutely. just be a kind of engineer you could say hey I'm a lawyer I'm an accountant but you know what I want to go and join a fast growing startup and there and you could do that too right yeah, so Angelus okay. Talent is the the hiring platform from for startups from early stage up to you know you know category defining companies, and it includes every role. We include every role that is part of that journey. Obviously, for early stage startups, a lot of those people tend to be engineers, and we see that on our platform. Roughly fifty percent of our jobs are engineering jobs, but the rest are all the other jobs. So we have a Just heavy a group of jobs of like on marketing, on operations, on product, on design. You know, startups need all sorts of people um, to help them grow, and so we see a lot of professionals um, from kind of all stripes that want to join startups come to. That's it for the blind ambition. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.